There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was all his household. He did many acts of charity for the people and prayed to God regularly. About three o'clock one afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, staring at him and becoming greatly afraid, Cornelius replied, What is it, Lord? The angel said to him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have gone up as a memorial before God. Now, send men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon, who is called Peter. This man is staying as a guest with a man named Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who had spoken to him, to, to, spoken to him departed, Cornelius called two of his personal servants and a devout soldier from among those who served him. And when he had explained everything to, to them, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, while they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they, while they were preparing the meal, a trance came over him. He saw heaven opened and an object like something like a large sheet descending, being let down to earth by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and wild birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, slaughter and eat. But Peter said, Certainly not, Lord, for I have never eaten anything defiled and ritually unclean. The voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has made clean, you must not consider ritually unclean. This happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into heaven. Now, while Peter was puzzling over what the vision what the, the vision he had seen could signify, the men sent by Cornelius had learned where Simon's house was and approached the gate. They called out to ask if Simon, known as Peter, was staying there as a guest. While Peter was still thinking seriously about the vision, the spirit said to him, Look, three men are looking for you, but get up, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, because I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the person you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, Cornelius the centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear a message from you. So Peter invited them in and entertained them as guests. On the next day, he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied them. The following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting anxiously for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So when Peter came in, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter helped him up, saying, No, 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 stand up, stand up. I too am a mere mortal. Peter continued talking with them as they went in. And he found many people gathered together. He said to them, You know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile. Yet, God has shown me that I should call no person defiled or ritually unclean. Therefore, when you sent for me, I came without any objection. 
Now, may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago, at this very hour, at three o'clock in the afternoon, I was praying in my house, and suddenly a man in shining clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your acts of charity have gone have been remembered before before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is called Peter. This man is staying as a guest in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you at once, and you were kind enough to come. So now, we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to say to us. Then Peter started speaking. (laughs) Well, now I truly understand that God does show no favoritism in dealing with people. But in every nation, the people who, the person who fears him and does what is right is welcomed before him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace, shalom, through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know what happened through, throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John announced with respect to Jesus from Nazareth, that God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. Well, they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us, the witnesses God had already chosen, who ate and drank with him. And after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to warn them that he is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. About him all the prophets testify that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. (laughs) While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had accompanied Peter were greatly astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, No one can withhold the water for these people to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? So he gave orders to have them baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for several days. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you fall upon any that you wish. And Lord, we ask you, Lord, we yearn for you. Fall on us. Fall on us, Holy Spirit. Fall upon us that we may know you more. That we may see a clear glimpse of Jesus. That we may glorify you, Lord, in all things that we would be empowered with shalom, with the gospel of peace, that we would be filled with hope, that we would be filled with love, that we would be filled with truth. God, fill us this morning through the power of your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (coughs) I love spending time with the Lord. Don't you? Yes. Amberlynn, would you grab my coffee real quick? 
It's on the back by my desk. Sorry. Thank you. I love spending time with my wife as well and family. And I love spending time with the Lord in different places. One of my favorite places to spend time with the Lord is on top of a mountain. I love, like one time, I remember clearly in my, in, my brain, in my brain, like going out to the M and hiking to the very top of the M and, thank you, and we bought uh, hammocks a couple of Christmases ago and last year I, got, I set up my hammock and I strung it between a couple of trees and I was just laying there, sitting, you know, sitting there because I could also use it as a tree and I was just looking out on the whole valley and just going, wow, amazing. And I brought all my video gear, and so I recorded a Coffee with Alan podcast thing out there and, and everything with the, with the background, you know, behind me and stuff. And just, I love spending time with the Lord in the woods. I love going for a hike. I love going for a walk, going for a drive. It's one, of the things, one of the reasons I love having a Harley Davidson now. <laughs> just being able to go and drive for, you know, an hour. You know, or being able to drive around town and just, you know, book it and just... And that's one of the coolest things is like, you know, when you're in a car, you see a, a, a bald eagle go by, you're, oh, there's a bald eagle, and it's gone. But I'm like, I can be like, oh, a bald eagle, I can watch it like flying and, you know, okay, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Do it. But, you know, everything is just unobstructed, just being, just a clear view. And that's why I love, I love spending time with the Lord with a clear view. And that's why like, if you're going to spend time with the Lord, it's, you know, I always try to take, take a moment and I suggest, suggest you do this as well, just to clear your plate. There was an idea, an idea that someone had a while back that, you know, just have a little pad of paper next to you if you're spending time with the Lord in the morning, you know, around with your Bible. And random thoughts like, you know, to-do lists that are going through your head, just write that down, just get out of your brain so that you can clear your plate. Just being with the Lord, unhindered, in His presence. There's just something about being outdoors. Alone, breathing in the spirit with every breath of clean air that you breathe in, especially since we're not in Southern California. <laughs> but my, my point here this morning that I want to focus everything on as we focus here this morning, focusing in on the whole point of our passage as we spend time with the Lord, is that Jesus calls all people to walk closely with him and declare his righteousness, his greatness. To declare his greatness. Jesus calls all people to walk with closely with him and declare his greatness. And bacon. Yep. bacon. <laughs> Just kidding. It's not quite the point of the passage. <laughs> but the, Jesus calls all people He welcomes all. He desires all to come close, to walk with him. And so that we, after having been in his presence, can go and declare the greatness of our God. As we see in this passage here today. So let's look at this. what's going on here. So, first of all, we're in Caesarea Maritima. So there's Caesarea Maritima. Philippi, which is, you know, we talked about in, in Luke where they're at the Mount Hermon. It's at the base of Mount Hermon. That's a different place. So Caesarea, oftentimes in, in Scripture, is just quoted as being called Caesarea. 
like in our passage here today. But in ancient times, it was called Caesarea Maritima. And you will see the picture of it on the bottom of your sheet there. So we're leaving Peter in Joppa for just a moment, and we're going to come back to him. And so the camera fades out on Joppa and fades up 30 miles north in Caesarea Maritima. So it is a Roman city. This is what it would have looked like back in the day. (coughs) Um, Became the main port in and out of Judea for the Roman Empire during the time of Jesus. During the time of Herod the Great, actually. So Herod the Great actually, actually built this. And he dedicated it to Caesar, hence the name Caesarea. So it's the seaport, Maritima, of Caesar. So, so this is all, it's a Roman city, but built by Herod the Great, who also built the, or remodeled the second temple and made it what it was before it was destroyed. But also he, he built another great fortress called um, Masada at the top of the mountains. Google it, it's great. Write it, write it down. There's, there's been movies made about it as well. The Dove Keepers, which is kind of an interesting movie. I wouldn't necessarily suggest it, but it's interesting. But, <laughs> but it's an interesting movie. But anyway, so this is a great wonder of the world. Actually, one of the coolest things that they learned to, an interesting technology to build this port right here. As you can see, the ships would come in and out. As you can see, a better, bigger, wider picture on your, on your paper there. There was a little old gate in there, but they took this, they, they formed, they invented this concrete that they could actually dump into the ocean and it would harden in the, and cure in the ocean. They didn't have to like dry dock it and then like build this wall and then backfill it. They were able to just pour this concrete and make a seaport like this. And so amazing wonder of the world. They were, uh, this is where they, yeah, in our last passage from the end of nine, this is where they shipped Paul out of to ship him back to Tarsus. They're like, all right, you're, you're causing too much strife. Let's get you out of here. So they took him to Caesarea. Uh, Paul would actually, we're going to get to that in a couple of years, um, actually spent two years right there in, in the, uh, in, in the, the place, you know, over here somewhere. It's kind of the royal palace. Kind of right here. So the royal palace, that's where the, that's where the, the leader, kind of the governor of the entire area of the Praetorian, that's where he was. This was the, the center of the Roman administration for the entire region. This guy is a big deal. Big deal. Um, this is a big city uh, going on. And it's still there today. That's me, back in 2011, 12 years ago. And you can see him behind me. So this is um, from the, the Hippodrome area. Down here, looking that direction toward the lighthouse. So that's what that is in the background. Um, and so then the, the, the theater is actually still there today. In amazing, amazing shape. It's still there. And actually they do concerts there. I saw a few pictures and they actually will set up a ginormous stage and still hold events there. It's crazy. Just an amazing, amazing construction job. And this is a... As you can see right here, the kind of the flat spot right there, that is the, called the Hippodrome. That's where they did horse races. So you've seen you know, Ben-Hur yeah. with the four horses carrying the chariot. That's where they would do those kinds of gladiatorial races and things to the death. And then just down the road and going in and out of the city is the great Roman aqueduct. They would go for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles 
and only go down a few inches. The Romans were incredible, incredible builders. And this, was, this would run right into Jerusalem as well, these kinds of aqueducts. So we're in Caesarea Maritime. As you can see, the Roman theater down there, that's where we're, we were just, just looking at. Um, and so in Caesarea Maritima, who are we meeting? We're meeting Cornelius the centurion. Now, a centurion. What is a centurion? I mean, we heard that there's a centurion at the cross that did these the, the biddings of, of Pilate and stuff. So a centurion um, is a non-commissioned officer in the Roman Empire. I'm sorry, the Roman army, the Roman legions. He's a leader. And the word centurion comes from the Latin word, because they're Roman, centuria, meaning commanding a hundred men. So century is how many years? A hundred. So we get that word. So he was part of the Italian cohort. Now, there's not a lot of information that we have about the Italian cohort, except for that it was about 500 men or so, kind of a modern day battalion in our American uh, military. It's basically, it's a tenth of a legion, which is about 5,000 um, soldiers. And this man was known as a god fearer. Now, this is someone who's not Jewish and he has not been circumcised, but they worship Yahweh. They would go to the temple to worship in the Gentile courts. Um, they might go and, and, and go and gather during these holy days. They would hold the Sabbath together. And again, like we talked about was a, last week or a couple weeks ago, is, you know, the worship of Yahweh was probably one of the more tame forms of worship and one of the most joyful. The other ones were bloody and nasty and disgusting and like really weird and evil because of course they worship demons so it makes sense that it would be you know kind of a negative feeling you know and so but there was, there was like there was something about worshiping Yahweh that was beautiful that was wonderful and it attracted a lot of people and so this man kept in the Mosaic law but he had not followed through through uh, with circumcision to become a full proselyte in Judaism but this man is 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 known throughout this entire entire region. What is going on with my microphone? This man is, is known throughout the entire region as someone who does good for God's people. The, the word uh, specifically is translated literally, did alms. And that word alms is translated into this, this you know, did acts of mercy, this acts of charity. He's known by all the people to be a good God-fearing man did many merciful and compassionate things for the Jews. So this is a man of good character. Maybe similar to, if not the same centurion, maybe that Jesus healed, healed the servant of. <clears throat> and so we, we come to Cornelius in Caesarea. And he says he had a vision at three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, why is it important that they put that little detail in there? Because you know the the meaning is oftentimes in the little details. <clears throat> he's basically the author Luke is trying to specify that he's not having a dream. This isn't like the middle of the night or like even early on in the evening time where he's maybe like fading in and out of consciousness, or in the morning where it's like you know like you know, wake up in the morning and you kind of remember your dream. Like I remember arrows in my dream last night for some weird reason. Like we were talking about like fireworks or something like that. But <laughs> but. Yeah, he wasn't in the early in the morning or, or late at night to where it would have been a dream. 
He's saying this was a clear, he's like, God, dude, I wasn't dreaming this. I didn't make this up. I had a clear, I was like, I see him as clear as day as I see you today, right now. And so three in the afternoon, he's not having a vision, not having a dream. So it's also specific, you know, because there's, there's things that Luke is doing throughout his book and showing the patterns of the creativity of God. Like three in the clock in the afternoon is the time of prayer in the Jewish temple. They're offering the afternoon sacrifice in the temple, and so they're praying together as a nation. Three o'clock in the afternoon, have you ever heard of the, the witching hour? Remember what, what our witching hour is? 3 a.m. So 3 a.m. is the opposite of the holy hour, which is 3 p.m. Three in the afternoon is known as the holy hour, which is also the hour that Jesus died. And it's also the hour in which the, the lame man was healed at the beautiful gate in the temple of God. It's the holy hour of God. So he is having a holy moment, having a holy vision of an angel of God. Now, different translations do certain things with this because it can either be an angel of God or the angel of God which to a Hebrew listener would hear the angel of Yahweh, which was from all, all over this, this end of the book. <laughs> it's a, it, it figures heavily. The Trinity was always known throughout you know, Israeli history. There was the Father, Yahweh himself, the Spirit of Yahweh, the, or as we know him, the Ruach HaKodesh, or the Holy Spirit, and also then the Theophany, or the one like the Son of Man in the vision of Daniel, who we know is Jesus Christ. There's always the physical representation of Jesus, of, of God, who was walking. He was walking with, with Michael or, and, and, you know, at different points to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham hosted them. He was the one that appeared in the furnace with Rakshak and Benny. <laughs> and he appears all throughout Scripture. So there's the, the Father, Yahweh himself, who's too holy to look at. So he like, you know, protects Elijah in the cleft of a rock and he's going to able to see his back as God the Father walks away. Jesus himself, the physical manifestation of Yahweh and the Ruach HaKodesh, which is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Yahweh, the angel of Yahweh. And so this man is seeing the angel of Yahweh, the angel of God. He says, your prayers and acts of mercy have gone up as a memorial before God. Basically like saying, you and your acts of devotion have been received. Thanks. These are enough. They are acceptable. You are enough. You are acceptable. Man, how many of us need to hear that this morning? Your prayers and acts of devotion for the for God's people, they've been received. They've been heard. They're enough. Good and faithful servant. The Lord looks kindly upon those who treat his church, his kingdom, well. As we can see all, through, all throughout Scripture, including like in passages like Matthew 25, that God looks upon those who do good for His people and rewards them. He says, look at, you know, look, 
look here, look here, you go, come into my kingdom, you who fed me when I was naked. She fed me when I was naked. When I was naked. Fed me when I was hungry. Clothed me when I was naked. Gave, you know, saw me thirsty and gave me water to drink. You, I sick and in prison. You came and visited me. Well, when did we ever see that? When you did these things to the least of these, comma, my brothers and sisters, you did them to me. He accounts everything that people do to the church as if they're being done to him. And that includes God-fearers. That includes those who may not have placed their full allegiance and faith in Jesus yet. But God blesses those who bless the church. God blesses those who bless his people. And so God is looking positively. God is looking faithfully on Cornelius. And he's saying, hold my wine and watch this. Peter is at the same time. So we're going to leave Caesarea now. We're going to go back here to Joppa. Go back here to Jaffa. So let's look at this prayer setting where he's at. So Peter prays in the Spirit. So where is he? I thought I I found this fascinating. So he is outside. He what? Went up on the roof. And think about it. If you look at an ancient city, all the... Actually, even today, I I I was Googling for some weird reason. The... You know, Egypt and all these different places. And there's little pockets along these different streams and rivers and stuff of these random pockets of cities and surrounded by desert and these little strips of, of green. <laughs> and I zoomed way in random towns I've never heard of before in my life. And every single one had a flat roof. All the roofs were flat. Same thing in ancient Israel. They're all flat. So you could go up onto the roof and have outdoor parties and, and hang out. Right, And so this was the setting of where Peter is at. But I can think of it. Imagine this. Jaffa, Joppa is a seaport. It used to be the main seaport for Judea. And so it was the main seaport. And I could just see him out there in his beach chair, just <sighs> smelling the waves. Yes, I'm from Southern California. That's why I can say those things about Southern But one of my absolute favorite things was sitting on the beach at sunset, with the wind coming in off the water, blowing the cool breeze air in, in my face, watching the sun set over Catalina Island, the red and orange just flooding the sky as, this, as the gulls <coughs> overhead. It's beautiful. Just love it. I, I could see, and I love spending time with God out there on the beach. And this is, and Peter does too. Peter's like, yeah. Get me to the beach again. I love the beach. He's, but what is he doing? He's praying. He's spending time in the Spirit. Spending time with God. He fell into a trance. Not because he was hungry. <laughs> he said he was hungry, and so he sent them away to make him some, make him some food. But it wasn't because he was hungry that he fell into a trance. God was doing something powerful through Peter and in Peter's life in this moment. This is Peter having an esoteric spiritual experience in the Spirit, with the Spirit. A same kind of experience that we are welcomed into if we will say yes to coming and quieting our day, setting aside time to just simply rest and sit in His presence. 
to fill our mind, to fill our hearts, to fill our spirit with the word of God and the word of God. The spoken, the written word of God and the presence of the word of God through the spirit. God is drawing us in. He wants us to spend time with him. He's not just like praying general prayers or just praying petitions. He is spending time with his God. And so his experience, we should look at it as normal. Like it's a normal experience to have an esoteric spiritual encounter with the Holy Spirit when we let ourselves be in the Spirit. But also not necessarily making his exact what you know experience normative like it has to be this or that in order for it to have been the holy spirit because who is the most inconsistent person in all of creation in all the world and all the universe god (laughs) he is so inconsistent consistency is not a fruit of the spirit in fact inconsistency might be more of a fruit of the spirit than consistency I mean, think about all the different ways that Jesus healed blind people alone. He didn't t- even talk to them. He didn't even touch them. He just said, be healed. He touched them. He you know, spit on the ground, made some mud and put it on his eyes. Other guy, he just like straight spit on his face. <laughs> like, I just washed my hands. Come here. Holy spit. He is so inconsistent. So we don't make any kind of experience with God, with God or in scripture, normative. As though it has to happen that way every time as a dogmatic theology. Get God out of the box. But it is normal. It is normal to have a crazy encounter with the Holy Spirit. A crazy, amazing encounter with his presence. A flood of joy. So what happened? He saw heaven opened up. <gasps> Love it. Large sheet coming down. This, this term is used for the sail of a ship. And maybe God was using certain things that he was seeing to give him a vision of what he wanted. So he's like watching all the sail ship, you know, sailboats coming into port. And like he went into a trance and like saw one of those sails like coming down with all the with like pigs and and birds and all sorts of things that were unclean for a, a Jewish man to eat. So I said, I've never eaten anything what defiled or ritually unclean. These food laws were one of the practices that set the Jewish followers apart from the Gentiles. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant, and the, their dietary laws were what were a, were a picture. That, we were, that they were different. In fact, the Romans and the Gentiles thought they were stupid and weird. But for their dietary laws, like y'all are dumb. They'd mock them incessantly and, bel- and, and belittle them and berate them. And so, but this was a way that they showed that they were different, that they were set apart, that they were holy from the rest of the world. We are not you. Not as a you know double bird fisted you know you know rejection of them or like a or the, as a you know as an expletive against them a curse against them, but as a protective. We are not you. 
We are holy. There's this element of like holier than thou attitude of like, I'm holier than you. But here's the thing. It's true. When you are Yahweh's people, you are holier than the world. Not because of anything you did. You can't take any credit. It's all him. But you are holier than thou. You are holier than they. I, I had a great conversation with a friend of mine the other day. I was like, you're awesome. I was like, she was like, I know. She's right there. But it's that like, sometimes it's weird. Like in, our, in the church, we're like, it's like this weird false humility that we have to say, oh no, I'm just, I'm just a worm. I'm just a sinner. Saved by grace. But I'm terrible. No! You're freaking awesome, man! Why? Because God. Because Jesus. Because His Holy Spirit took you out of the mud and put you on the heights. He gave you wings like eagles to fly and to soar over the garbage, over the crap, over the things that want to stain and and destroy your life. And what is our calling? Is our calling to say, No, it's saying, Come! And we want you to experience it too, but we don't want to be tainted by your garbage. We don't want to be tainted by your crap mindsets, by your mindsets of death, by your practices of evil that want to taint and steal our joy. I want none of it. You can keep it because I know that it takes away our peace. It takes away hope. It takes away joy. It takes away love. And you you think all these things are what bring you these things, but they're actually killing you. And you're mocking my way, our way, in in Scripture, God's way, that He promised true joy, true flourishing, a lifestyle that brings life. And so the, but the Jewish people had turned the practice from a we're different, we're holy, we need to be protected to a forget y'all. Get away from us, you dirty, rotten Gentiles. Like they would walk through a Gentile land, like, you know, like some, even like Samaria, and they would like shake the dust off their feet as a sign against them. Basically, it was their way of flipping them off. Bless your heart. Yeah. <laughs> Bless your heart. But it's, it's basically like it was a rejection of them. Don't come near me, you dirty Gentile. But the practice not only not only separated them from the Gentiles, but it also separated the Gentiles from God. Because they didn't have an opportunity to get to know and to have fellowship with God's people which meant that they were keeping God all to themselves. Which God said, no, you're supposed to be my light. Like the ones that just came on. You're supposed to be the light to the world. To draw them to you. To bring guys like Cornelius to the feet of God himself. To my presence. And the practice of this concept of not eating food that was unclean made table fellowship with Gentiles virtually impossible. 
It separated not only Jews from Gentiles, but like we said, the Gentiles from God. Because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, now in the church, God's people could now dwell and share table fellowship with the pagans. We can eat bacon. We can smoke pork butts. Woo! If you don't know me, one of my favorite foods is, is smoked pork butt. I, I love it. And bacon. I could just survive on that. If you haven't had my pulled pork, you've got to have my pulled pork. It's not really my, even my recipe. It's Mean Church's recipe. You can cook it yourself. But I take no credit for it. But it's so good. And so the illustration here is that we, everything that is keeping us from sharing table fellowship with outsiders is torn down. Come near. Draw, invite them over for dinner. Be invited over to dinner. Like Paul would even later say in his epistles, which we'll get to, is that, you know, when people invite you over, when Gentiles invite you over, eat whatever they serve you. There's nothing that makes you unclean anymore. Why? Because it's not what goes into the body that defiles you, it's what comes out. So he gave Peter this vision of all these unclean animals. And Jesus had already, back in the book of Luke, said in this way, he declared all foods clean. This is Luke reiterating that point. Now, it's, it's, it's more to the point of like, because God has said all foods are clean, eat now. Stop calling what God called clean, unclean. He's using that illustration of what he already knows to be true because of the life that Jesus lived. And he's now using it as an illustration that no people are unclean either. No people are too far gone. No people are too dirty. No people are ever, ever, ever to be simply dismissed because of what they've done, because of their ethnicity, because of their whatever, fill in the blank, because of their political status, political party. Every single person is desired to come and repent and believe in the gospel and receive the Holy Spirit, receive the forgiveness of sins. He gave him this vision, but also spoke to him words of confidence to do something out of the cultural norm for the Jews. This justification from God will come into play as we go up to Caesarea. God gave him these things. Peter, you know, what happens then? Peter invites these guys to dine with him, these Gentiles from Caesarea to come and dine, to come into their home to defile their home. And all the people are there like, what are you doing, Peter? What is this? Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, at least have them you know, take a bath. Or something. Wash the Gentile off them. At which point, the, you know, these, you know, they were freaking out a little bit. A little, at least a little concerned. But God, here, think about this. God is always setting something up. God is always like thinking four bajillion steps ahead. Why? Because he knows it all. Like a pool player, you know, playing you know, like you know uh, billiards, setting up the next play 
by the way he hits this ball and hits that ball, he's setting up where the cue ball is landing for the next shot. He's always setting something up for the next thing. Because Peter, think about this, he didn't know the big picture. He didn't know what was going to happen in Caesarea. He just went. He walked with God. He followed the Holy Spirit. He was getting primed for joy. He was priming the pump. He was making these steps and setting all these things up like a chess player, setting all these moves up for the bam. Woo! Exactly. Because here's the thing, like when he got there, he went in. He's like, all right, I'm here. And God is like, as you know, he's like, he wanted to remind him. He's like, as you know, guys, this is bad for me. No, this is bad for my reputation, guys. But because God told me to come. God told me to come and be with you. God told me to come and share with you whatever you want me to do. So now what is it? Now he's got an audience. He's got Cornelius and his whole, probably his whole Roman court. Officials and stuff. Family, his entire household. And I love, I love how it says this. It you know, sets it up at, the, at the, the first passage in that last paragraph there. It said, while Peter was still speaking these words. Because, I mean, we have this beautiful and clear presentation of the gospel. You can study a lot more of that. But I love it, how it says, God let him share enough. He said, while he was still speaking, he was probably like in the middle of a sentence, all of a sudden, boom! Everyone went nuts. The Holy Spirit fell. Everyone like started smiling and like just talking and starting and sharing and, and spread like he was like, whoa, what's going on here? Whoa, what? Oh, this is the Holy Spirit. All right. Cool. Keep going. Because not only were they speaking in, t- in other tongues, they were praising God. They were, they were just going nuts about the glories and the greatness of God. That's how they knew it was Jesus. That's how they knew it was the Holy Spirit and not Zeus's spirit. That's how they knew. Because why? They knew Jesus. Peter knew Jesus. He walked with them for three years. He was just hanging out with them in Joppa. On the rooftop. In the Spirit. He knew Jesus and he knew how to recognize Jesus when he fell fell upon people. He saw the joy. He saw the glory. He experienced the glory. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit falls. Joy. Glory. That's what happens when God comes near. And he felt, there wasn't anything magical or mystical in the sense of like, he just preached the plain gospel. He wasn't all fancy word. He just shared his, his experience. He witnessed. He testified. He gave, he gave glory to Jesus. And people were drawn in by the Spirit to also then turn and give glory to Him as well. In this instance, the Holy Spirit comes first. In some other instances, you know, the others we see that they are baptized and then the Holy Spirit comes from laying on of hands. Yet others, someone is baptized with water and the Spirit at the same time. You know, also in others, they are baptized and they don't receive the infilling like right away. And then they're like prayed for over later or they have an experience and then all of a sudden, boom, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Like I said, who's the most inconsistent person in all of the world? Boom. God is inconsistent. There's not a cookie cutter method. 
There's not a cookie-cutter doctrine that says this is when the Holy Spirit comes. He comes when he good well feels like it. You could be a Baptist who's been baptized when he was six and get baptized in the Holy Spirit when you're 60. Or you can be a, a Baptist who is baptized when they're 10 and receives the Holy Spirit when you're 10. Or you receive the Holy Spirit when you're like 40 and get baptized when you're 60. He's inconsistent, but he's glorious. He's a, glo- he's a glorious inconsistency. There's no method with God. He does what he pleases. As it says in Psalm 115.3, Our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. That's our God. He's not a tame lion, but he is good. The point in this is that those who walk by the Holy Spirit, who spend time in his presence, who follow his guiding, they will see and declare the mighty acts Jesus is doing in our world, even and especially today. Where does it seem impossible? Think about that. In your life, in this world, in your family, in your friends, in your job, in your state, in your country, in your wor- in the world, where does it seem impossible? Another question, who seems too far gone? Is there anyone that you would say, oh, they're, they're too far gone? They've done too much. Oh, they've done too little. It's too late. And when you're looking at that person in their, in their eyes, are you looking in a mirror? Do you believe that you're too far gone for God? To love, to change, to do new things? Imagine what joy you could experience by walking by the Holy Spirit today. Make that, make that decision, make that covenant today. I'm going to stop living through my own gosh darn lens of what I think is right. And I'm going to live through God's lens. I'm going to live through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to walk with Him not walk with me. I'm not going to ask God to walk with me. I'm going to ask Him to walk with Him. Can Jesus use you? Think about that. How can you avail yourself to Him? How do you walk by the Spirit? <clears throat> like I said, well, the Gentiles heard the Gospel. The Spirit fell upon them. The Jewish brothers knew it was authentic because they knew Jesus. They knew they were manifesting the Spirit of Jesus. Peter knew the teachings of Jesus. He knew the truth and how to recognize truth. Peter knew how to recognize truth when it was declared like these Gentiles were doing. 
I mean, we're living in a weird world. I mean, post you know post modernity that you know they talked about like in the '90s and early 2000s, maybe in the into the 2000 teens. That's over now, by the way. That you know, there's this whole like living in the your truth and my truth and our truth and what's true to me, what's true to you, or the fact that there's. I think that back then they were saying that there was no sort no such thing as truth. But now we've personalized it. My truth. Your truth. What's your truth? Well, basically what they're, they're saying is, what's your opinion? Because truth is truth, no matter what people think. No matter what people decide. No matter if I decide that gravity is not true, I will still fall and break my butt. It'll still happen. Truth is still truth. It'll always be true, no matter how we feel about it. And they knew that this was the Holy Spirit because they heard truth, because they recognized and remembered Jesus' words. If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. Even fill that in with spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive the spirit of truth because it doesn't see the spirit of truth or know the spirit of truth. But you know the spirit of truth because the spirit of truth remains with you and will be in you. Skipping along to, to chapter 15. He said, when the counselor comes, the one I send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me. So how do we know it's the Holy Spirit? If it's testifying about Jesus. If it's leading you to Jesus. Making much of Jesus. If the Spirit that you're hearing is all about you, that's a demonic spirit. (laughs) If the Spirit that you're hearing wants you to make more about you and to think more about you, it's a demonic spirit. But if the Spirit is making much about Jesus and leading you to Jesus and how to glorify Jesus and testify about the greatness of Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit. And as we walk by the Spirit, we have to always, always, always remember that Jesus calls all people to walk closely with Him and to declare His greatness. That's why he falls on people. That's why he called Peter. That's why he called Cornelius. That's why he drove them together and fell upon them. So that all of them in that household, Jew and Gentile, could worship God, could walk closely with the Holy Spirit. And all of them would declare the greatness of Jesus Christ. And that's God calling for us. Does God want to fall upon shift church? Absolutely. Why? To call all of us to walk closely with Him so that all of us can declare the greatness of Jesus Christ. That's God's heart for us. So let's pray and ask them that. 
Let's pray. Let's be in a season of prayer to ask God to pour out His Spirit, to fall upon His people, to walk closely with Him so that we can declare the greatness of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we pray right now, (coughs) God, that You would fall upon us, God. That You would fall upon us when You decide to. Because You do whatever You please, Lord. But Lord, know that we're here. We're waiting. We are wanting. We desire Your presence individually and collectively, Lord. Fall upon us, Lord. Make much of Jesus. Walk closely with us, Lord. Lead us, guide us, direct us, encourage us, uplift us, strengthen us. Give us boldness to proclaim the gospel that Jesus came and He lived, that Peter proclaimed. Put that same word on our mouth, on our tongue, Lord Jesus, to speak. Speak the gospel clearly and plainly. And to watch the Holy Spirit fall upon those who we proclaim the gospel to as we declare Your greatness, as we declare the praises of You, Holy God. Lord, use us. Bless us. Draw us close to walk with You each and every day as You desire to walk with us in the cool of the morning as you did in the garden. We love you, Lord Jesus. Praise you and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.